I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Ryan Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom, and this is the first episode of the sixth season. I was away on a little bit of a sabbatical, but we're back, and so welcome, welcome to the sixth season. I think it's going to be a good one. A couple quick announcements before we get started. TheLastSymptom.com, of course, that's my website where you can get all the up-to-date information about what's going on in Last Symptom land. Uh, But also, right there at TheLastSymptom.com, if you go to the free and paid resources tab, you will find our group, which is located at Locals, and uh, you can join us there at TheLastSymptom.Locals.com, another way to join us by simply downloading the Locals.com app to your phone or your device and uh, then searching for The Last Symptom Within. The reason why that's so important is because uh, we do weekly live streams there on Mondays. So if you've missed these conversations, if you've missed The Last Symptom, you it, that's unnecessary. You didn't have to miss it because while I was on that sabbatical, we were still doing the live streams every Monday. So still got the folks who are in our group, still got these sorts of conversations and everything and didn't have to do without at all. So that's uh, something I'd like to encourage you to do. Join us over there on our locals group. And that's it for announcements. Now we're going to be talking about never cooperating with emotional unhealth. It was several years ago that I was talking to a mother and we're going to pick this conversation back up at the end but uh, she was talking to me about her daughter and uh, her daughter was expressing some unhealthy ideas I said to the mother well you need to you never want to cooperate with that type of thinking you always want to push back firmly against that type of thinking she says well that's not what the girl's therapist said I'm supposed to do the girl's therapist says I'm trying I'm supposed to try to keep her calm, not do anything that might quote-unquote trigger her, and things of that nature. I said, well, the therapist is an idiot because what you're doing is you're enabling the unhealth, you're supporting the unhealth, you're participating in the unhealth, and um, your daughter has never is never going to have an opportunity to challenge that thinking and correct it. So that's the sort of conversation we're going to have here this week about never cooperating with emotional unhealth. You've heard these terms safe spaces, not offending, right? It's a big deal nowadays. Not Don't offend. Don't offend anybody. Never making anybody uncomfortable. Never upsetting. Right? These are 
concepts that in today's world are celebrated, it seems, by a majority as being the way to handle things. All of these attitudes and approaches are, in fact, in direct conflict with the very foundation of what emotional health is built on, good emotional health. So what's the only correct way to deal with emotional unhealth or emotional disorders in others when you encounter it? The only correct way to deal with it is to never cooperate or acquiesce. That, that might be a word to uh, begin thinking of. In fact, when I was preparing this outline, that word kept coming up in my head. It perfectly captures what you see happening in the world today when it comes to people who are um, living with distorted, unhealthy thinking and attitudes and the way that the world says, uh, and, and I ain't just talking about like your neighbor down the street or your Uncle Joe. I'm talking about people who should know better, are responsible for knowing better, the professional community and these groups. What do they say? They say that first of all, they teach the false concept of triggers, which does not exist. There's no outside force making you feel a certain way. You're making yourself feel that way. You're taking whatever you see or the supposed trigger. You're internalizing it, and what you do with it inside yourself is what is creating the effect. You're doing it to yourself. So triggers is a completely false concept, as we've discussed many times in the past. There are episodes of this show dedicated to demolishing that false concept. So, um, you know, if you want to look that up, you can later on. But back to this word acquiesce, it captures so so nicely what you see people doing. That the whole approach to people who are uh, suffering from profoundly unhealthy thinking and attitudes. What do they say you should do in the face of that? They say you should acquiesce to it. You should give in to it and cooperate with it and work along with it. That's That's what many of the brainiac experts out there are preaching these days well i'm telling you it's the opposite it's the opposite i'm telling you that as somebody who once had an emotional disorder knows what that involves the profoundly unhealthy thinking subtly distorted thinking that that involves and how the only reason why i was allowed to live that way unhealthy and unhappy and disordered and and hurt for so many years was because there was not enough pushback against my unhealthy thinking. There was not enough pointing it out, identifying it as unhealthy, explaining why it's unhealthy, and the, the healthy alternative, the healthy, correct alternative. There was no pushback. If there had been pushback in every direction that I turned when it come to my unhealthy thinking and attitudes, then it would not have been sustainable, you see. But the reason why it was sustainable in my case is because nobody pushed back. And why did nobody push back? Because they're all unhealthy too. In fact, when you look out at the world and you see people acquiescing, and that is the, the advice of how to handle unhealthy people is to acquiesce to their emotional unhealth. Why would that be their advice? E even experts who have gone to school for years and years and are supposed experts in the in these topics. Why? Why? What is the only reason why that would be their advice? 
because they're unhealthy too. When somebody expresses thinking that is in blatant opposition to emotionally healthy thinking, that is to attitudes, perspectives, and thoughts based on fundamentally secure, fundamentally certain, healthy laws and principles, and, and you're talking to somebody and they express thinking that is in opposition, direct opposition, and in contradiction to those healthy laws and principles, what do you do? It's all around us. You don't have to be somebody doing the work that I'm doing in order to encounter it. All you got to do is go down to the Piggly Wiggly. There it is. All you got to do is turn on the TV. There it is. Listen to the radio. There it is. So what do you do when you encounter it out in life? If it's somebody you have no relationship with and no responsibilities to, or let's say no responsibilities over, such as with children, dependent children, you can sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can get away with just saying nothing. However, if the person expressing fundamentally unhealthy thinking is somebody you do have a relationship with, and I'm not just talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, those sorts of things. I'm talking about human relationship with. Saying nothing in that circumstance is not a choice because relationships, that is to say friendships, parenting, marriages, and things like this, gives birth to responsibility that in the previous example of the total stranger not having a discussion with you, just minding his own business, there's no response you have no responsibility to that person most of the time but once you've entered into a relationship with somebody well then that does give birth to a measure of responsibility now for those of you who have been following me for some time you might be thinking hang on hang on there for years we've heard you talking about the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority and how people only have inherent responsibility over their own selves. So what's all this talk now about once you're in a relationship, you have certain responsibilities to other people? Well, it's true. The responsibility to yourself is inherent in nature. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to agree to it. It just exists. And not only that, but it trumps all other responsibilities. What's the exception? What's the exception to my primary responsibility always being to my own physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being? The only exception, the only thing that trumps that responsibility is my responsibility to God. But this is not to say that our individual inherent responsibilities are the only responsibilities that exist in life there are other responsibilities I take a job with the post office for example and at that job I have a boss don't I so my accepting that job means that I have entered into a mutual agreement with the post office and by doing so with whatever man or woman is going to be my boss. 
The boss has a right to tell me what to do within the scope of my job, doesn't he or she? And I have a responsibility to carry out those aspects of the job. Was I born with those responsibilities? Are they inherent to me? Like whether I work at the post office or not, are those responsibilities still responsibilities that I possess? No. So you're starting to get an idea, right, about how the individual inherent rights, responsibility, responsibilities and authorities over your personal life, the nature of those as opposed to the nature of other responsibilities in life, and which one trumps which. So the boss has a right here at the post office to tell me what to do within the scope of that job, and I have a responsibility to live up to, the, to those demands. However, let's say that uh, a year passes, a year goes by at this, at this job, and I realize that the stress of the job has me on the very brink of what I can physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually endure. Healthily, let's say. Because I'm responsible to my boss, am I supposed to just ignore the fact that I'm about to have a breakdown? Or that my family's falling apart? Or that whatever's going on, and it's, it's a, become a destructive force in my life? Am I still responsible to just push on no matter what? Because I don't want to fail in my responsibilities to my boss? Well, obviously not. My responsibilities to myself always take priority over my responsibilities to anybody and anything else. Again, the only exception being my responsibilities to God. The reason why... I throw that in there at the end is because I know that all of you, not all of you, do believe in God, but uh, a lot of you do, as do I, and so I'm trying to trying to work with both audiences. So living up to my individual inherent responsibility to myself means recognizing that this job is having an overwhelmingly negative impact on my life. Right, it's having a negative impact on either my physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being. And then what do I do? Well, because I want to live up to my responsibility to myself, I resign and I go and find a different type of work. The reason for this example is to illustrate two things. Number one, life involves responsibilities to others beyond just the individual inherent responsibilities to our own selves that exist once we become adult free agents. And number two, the example illustrates that our individual inherent responsibilities, our individual inherent responsibilities, are completely different in nature from other responsibilities that exist in life. Marriage would be a good example, you know. Uh, marriage involves responsibilities to each other that two people make. They, two people enter into an agreement about. But these responsibilities that two people agree to take on in a marriage never outweigh each person's individual inherent responsibilities to their own selves when it comes to physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. If one of the partners is having an overwhelmingly destructive effect 
on the other person's life, that is to say, an overwhelmingly destructive effect on any of those four aspects that we always talk about, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Any aspect, any of those aspects of life, the partner's having a detrimental effect, a more greatly having a detrimental effect on any of those things, and the person is suffering, that's unsustainable, right? Then it's just like the job. Is the mate supposed to just stay in that situation? Despite that, ignore his or her responsibilities to self and say, well, you know, I got, I, I entered into this agreement and now I've got a responsibility to just endure this stuff until I wither up and die or have an emotional breakdown. No, the, it's the individual's responsibility to himself or herself. Those trump any other responsibilities to him or her, the, the mate. And so that person has to make decisions to protect himself or herself. It's important to keep in mind, by the way, that when, for example, like in a marriage, you know, you have responsibilities to the partner, but the partner is abusive in, a, in some way, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually abusive and the person is suffering because of that their life the quality of their life those aspects of their life is deteriorating and it's unsustainable and the person says well i got to get out of the situation a lot of folks might think well see the person is reneging reneging on her or his responsibilities but that's not true it's not true because our individual responsibilities, our individual inherent responsibilities are always greater than other responsibilities. The same is true for responsibilities to God. So it's not like you're failing in a responsibility when you're merely living up to a responsibility of greater importance and authority, right? Because the, the lesser responsibility then becomes null and void. It becomes irrelevant. The more important responsibility always takes priority so at no time does your responsibilities to another person outweigh in serious in seriousness or nature one's responsibility to self uh, and again this is tied into the whole concept of you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks masks come down whose mask do you put on first that your your 10 year old child sitting next to you well if you do you're not that smart because in neglecting to put your own mask on first and you pass out what help are you going to be to your child so think of that in terms of like um, I've taken on a job to uh, provide for my family but it's killing me like emotionally I can't I can't deal with the stress of this job but I have a responsibility to provide for my family yeah you do but you you have a primary responsibility to yourself to your own physical emotional mental and spiritual well-being you can more greatly care for your child if you're caring for yourself first that's the way that works that's why the responsibility first is to self yes you do have responsibility to take care of your children entertain them give them the things they need the attention they need and all these things but you do not have a right to neglect yourself in order to do it so if it's easier to think about how these two examples these two different responsibility types interact consider these two examples a god an example for god-fearing people and i'll give you an example for people who are not not religious let's say that uh, we'll give the the fanatic example and then we'll give the heathen example <laughs> that's just in good fun all right i'm just joking 
But let's do a fanatic example and a heathen example. Number one, the Bible says that Christians have to obey the governmental authorities, right? If if you're a God-fearing person, you probably are aware of this. That is a God-given command. You have a responsibility. If your local government passes a law, you have to obey that law. God says so. But what happens when governmental authorities make a law that contradicts God's law? Oh, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. Well, then what does the Bible explicitly say to do? It explicitly says to obey God as ruler rather than the government in such instances. So there you have an example of where, yes, you do have responsibilities, but then there are other responsibilities that trump those responsibilities. Number two for the heathens, the Underground Railroad. Let's say that you live in 1850 in the American South, and uh, it's illegal to help slaves who are trying to escape from their so-called masters, but you're convinced that this law is morally wrong, which responsibility takes precedent. Your responsibility to the political law or your responsibility to the moral law inside of you. So back to what started this whole discussion. I'm in a bar, and I overhear a total stranger express some fundamentally unhealthy thinking to her girlfriend. Here's an example of where I need to just mind my own business and keep my mouth shut. I have no responsibility, inherent or otherwise, to correct a total stranger who is not even talking to me in a bar. This means that in this particular situation, I do not have a right to push back against the unhealth, the unhealthy thinking, the unhealthy attitudes that are on display there. I'm merely an observer. Now, if that same person is having a discussion directly with me, well, then that changes everything. But you see what I'm saying. This is a stranger who I just overhear in a bar. She's not talking to me. She's talking to a friend of hers. Now let's say that uh, your husband expresses thinking that's fundamentally unhealthy. Should you just let that go? No. Now, Now is the time to firmly push back against the unhealth. Why? Well, we kind of discussed it. It's because the responsibility that exists in this formula that did not exist in the previous formula. Responsibility first to self, right? So how does this apply to your responsibility to yourself if he's the one expressing the unhealthy stuff? We'll talk about that in a second. But, and then there's a second responsibility and that's your responsibility in a smaller way, in a smaller, in a smaller measure, responsibility to the husband or the loved one or the friend, or the children, or whoever. Now that there is a measure of responsibility involved between you and this other person, not saying anything is no longer an option. Why not? Because now that responsibility has entered the picture, not pushing back against this emotionally unhealthy thinking is in fact cooperating with the emotional unhealth. It's acquiescing. There's that word again, acquiescing and cooperating with the emotional unhealth. 
the only healthy thing to do for you is to firmly push back against the unhealth. If you don't, what does that mean? It means you're a participant in it. If you're a participant in it, you're an enabler of it. If you're participating in emotional unhealth, it means you yourself are emotionally unhealthy. So there's no instance in a situation like that where you can just not say anything and at the same time maintain your own emotional health. Because once you become a participant in somebody else's emotionally uh, emotional unhealth, I mean in a way that you're supporting and, and enabling it, well then you're part of it. It means you're emotionally unhealthy too. I'll tell you, a really good example of this um, in real life that I encounter all the time is passive aggressiveness. We've we talked a little bit about this uh, when we had our discussion about calm, assertive communication behavior styles versus passive aggressive communication behavior styles. Whenever I encounter somebody, and it happens a lot, not just doing this work, but just out in public, you know, anybody you encounter, friends, those sorts of things. But any time that passive a person begins to behave in a passive aggressive way around me and it's directed to me I push back against that I don't cooperate with that at all so I don't just allow it to go on and that's what pushing back or not cooperating with emotional unhealth involves it's not just standing by and doing nothing it's actually acting to combat the emotional unhealth you're pushing back against it so what does that look like when somebody is communicating with passive aggressively um, in the episode where we discussed calm assertive versus passive aggressive what I said was that I bring it right out into the daylight so I examine what are the motives for this what are they trying to say and then I bring that right out into the daylight so like for example if I'm here somebody wants to, somebody's feeling insecure and I'm working here around my studio and, and I've got a friend here and, and he wants to communicate you know I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm bothering you. I'm feeling like I'm bothering you, and I'm feeling kind of insecure about that. Am I bothering you? See, that's what the person wants to say. When they live a passive-aggressive communication behavior style of life, they don't come right out and say that. They try to hide that message in their behaviors or in other things that they say. So the person might say, well, looks like you're busy. I reckon I'll uh, I'll be going. Yeah, I'll probably be going here soon because it looks like you're busy. The person is not really just expressing an observation that I'm busy. The person is feeling insecure. They fear the possibility that they're bothering me. They want to know if they're bothering me. But instead of just coming out and saying that and asking me that directly and me going, no, you're not bothering me. They want to draw me out and try to get me to reassure them that they're not bothering me. So how would I not acquiesce or contribute to participate in that emotional unhealthy way of uh, being, of, of communicating? I bring it right out into the open. I say, if you're feeling insecure, and you're curious about whether you're bothering me or not, you need to just come right out and ask me. Oh, they won't like it. They don't like it, but that's not my problem. 
My problem is not whether they like doing things in a healthy way or not. That's not my problem. My problem is not acquiescing to their emotional unhealth and thereby supporting it and thereby being a participant in it. So in this example of where you're having a direct conversation with somebody who expresses something emotionally unhealthy, just saying or doing nothing is not an option. Now, you might be wondering this. Is pushing back against emotional unhealth the same as ignoring the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority? Those of you who are first-timers here might not know what that is. The law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is a law that describes a reality that we're all dealing with, and that is that adult free agents have free will, basically. Again, there are episodes out there where you can hear the explanation for these things in great detail. That's not our primary topic today. But the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. As soon as I become an adult free agent, nobody has any inherent rights, responsibilities, or authority, let's say. Because even if I live in a country where it's illegal to own dogs, nobody can stop me from deciding to try to own a dog. I still have complete free freedom to do whatever I want to do, to try to do whatever I want to do. And nobody can stop me from that. Those are my rights and authority. And we're talking a lot today about responsibilities. You know, that one gets overlooked. Lots of people, oh, I love talking about my rights. Love talking about my rights. I love talking about authority. Yeah, let's talk about the authority I inherently have over my life. Yeah, I'm not sure too many people like talking about the responsibility aspect that's work (laughs) you know the rights and authority yeah give me that all day long oh we got to talk about responsibilities I have to myself and I have in life well (laughs) uh, you see so be careful is what I'm saying not to skip over the responsibilities part your inherent responsibilities are just as important and must be weighed along with the rights and authority that are inherent to your life in the past I've described the inherent the law of inherent rights, responsibility, and authority in a in an illustrative way as being like a circle around everybody's feet. So all adults are walking around with these circles around their feet. And everything, all the rights, responsibility, and authority that you possess are contained within that circle. They don't extend beyond that circle. Not even when you get married, they don't extend beyond that circle. Yeah, if you've been married for 50 years, your wife can decide to up and leave you anytime she wants, and there's nothing you can do about it. So if you doubt me about the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, uh, you just you just test that out. You just test it out and see if uh, you don't end up empty-handed twiddling your thumbs. So the, back to the question. When we push back against somebody else's emotionally unhealthy thinking or unhealth in any of its forms, Is that the same as us just tossing the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority to the side and say, well, I'm not content to just live my life. I want to try to live their lives too. It's not. No, it's not. To illustrate, you and your best friend are talking about the best weight loss methods. And your friend begins praising laxatives and vomiting as a really good way to lose weight. She just thinks it's the the bee's knees, man. Vomiting and laxatives, she says. That's that's my preferred weight loss uh, method. I think it's the best one out there. What do you do? 
you just okay is that is that what you do just okay although your friend has a right to live her own life and think and do as she pleases to not challenge her thinking would cause you to share in a measure of responsibility if she were to later go off and actually live in a way that causes her harm the fact that she's you've entered into this relationship with her she is having this discussion with you and revealing these unhealthy th- this unhealthy thinking and you to sit there and not challenge it at all creates a measure of responsibility for you if she's actually goes off and acts in ways that are reflective of that unhealthy thinking so what do you have to do to completely divorce yourself of any responsibility for her unhealthy thinking you have to speak up and challenge her unhealthy thinking what would that look like it looks a lot like the calm assertive communication behavior style starter pack do do you folks remember what the calm assertive communication behavior style starter pack is the simple sentence that I taught you to get you started practicing being calm assertive it's so easy it goes like yes nope that's not true and the way I learned that was I was having a discussion about somebody and they were talking about sports or something I wasn't even talking I was just in the group of people talking and one person said something like the stats of this baseball player or something and the other guy says like he was the I don't know greatest base stealer of all of all time or something like that and and the other guy who knew better said no that that's not true it was actually this other guy and the the person who was originally talking goes oh oh was it yeah yeah it was okay corrected you see the erroneous thinking was caught it was identified it was corrected that's the sort of thing we're talking about and it's a perfect way to begin exercising calm assertive communication behavior style in your life simply by saying no that's not true now remember when you do this uh, the goal is to uh, express yourself honestly but you have to do it calmly with no intent to offend and that's important some people will tell you you can do it as long as you do it calmly and you don't offend Uh, and that's baloney that's false because offensive is a completely subjective thing right and I can't control whether you get offended or not the only thing I have any control over which is in alignment by the way with the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority the only thing I have any control over whatsoever is whether I intend to offend you not whether you get offended but that's the that's the the formula so when you say no that's not true uh, your intent cannot be to offend somebody by that rather it's just a correction right and because you're not out to offend anybody and you're not upset it's just you're trying to you're just making a correction a firm and direct correction but you're not out to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings or anything because of that its delivery will be very natural no that's not true he's not the 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 greatest base stealer of all time it was in fact this other baseball player oh yeah yeah I was just looking at his stats the other day Um, the guy you're talking about did real good but this other guy did much better statistically speaking oh I didn't know that yep and nobody gets upset nobody gets bent out of shape that's the calm assertive communication behavior style starter pack it's just just learning to 
to bring that out every once in a while. No, that's not true. So your friend praises laxatives and vomiting as a really good weight loss technique, and you calmly but firmly say, no, no, that is not a good weight loss technique. That is, in fact, a dangerous and unhealthy weight loss technique. Technique. People suffer all sorts of long-term and short-term problems doing that. On the other hand, an example of a good weight loss technique is instead lowering your caloric intake while eating a balanced diet with lots of protein and green veggies. Right? We're just using an example here. Now, is your friend obligated to change her thinking? No. She still possesses her individual, inherent right to continue living with the same unhealthy attitudes if she wants. Uh, Nobody can force her to change those attitudes if she doesn't want to. She even possesses the individual inherent right to go off and live that way, even if it harms her. But do you see that now you are divorced from any participation in that? Instead of cooperating with that unhealthy thinking, you firmly pushed back against it. You now have a clean conscience. You're supporting the right thing. Remember, you're always supporting something. People come to me all the time. How do I support my my unhealthy cousin, my unhealthy girlfriend, my unhealthy whoever? I said, well, you're already supporting them. You're already supporting them. But the question is not, how do I support them? The question is, how do I support the right things and never support the wrong things? So now, in this example that you have pushed back against the emotional unhealth, you've divorced yourself from being a participant in it, right? A participant in that poison cloud of unhealth. You now have a clean conscience, which plays a lot. You can't be walking around with a conscience that is dogging you all day long, all year long, all your life long and be emotionally healthy. You can't You can't be. So now you've managed to maintain a, a clean conscience in this situation. You've taken a stand. You've drawn a line in the sand where emotional unhealth begins. You see it very clearly, and you've said to yourself, you know, I hate that my friend is on that other side of, of the line, but I'm not stepping over that line. I'm not crossing that line. I'm staying firmly on this side. This uh, is, again, where acquiring the skill of uh, the calm, assertive, communication behavior style of life becomes so important. My own daughter the other day just pulled a last symptom calm assertive starter pack move on me very effectively. I was waking her up for school and uh, so I was getting her up out of bed. I opened up some the, the shades on her windows. She has several layers of curtains there. I opened up all the curtains except for like this thin uh, white curtain kind of kind of see through i said nobody will be able to see in through your window while you're getting dressed with these thin white curtains closed and uh, she's getting out of bed rubbing her eyes and she says uh actually that's not true (laughs) immediately that stopped me it stopped me in my surety or of my confidence in what i had just told her i said it's not true she says no, but if you close that thin yellow curtain too, it'll be harder for anybody to see in. I said, well, okay, let's do that then. It was kind of a cloudy, dark day, so I'm not 
entirely convinced that even with just the one curtain, anybody would have actually been able to see in. But it seems obvious to me, it seemed obvious to me in that situation that at some point she had been outside her bedroom and had looked in with that white curtain closed and that she could see in. Now, the conditions must have been just right for her to be able to do that, but she had that experience, right? And she had made that observation. It became clear to me when she said, actually, that's not true. A perfect example of calm, assertive communication behavior style. So it can be a practice uh, that easy. Now, here's something to keep in mind about being calm, assertive. Now, remember, the primary topic is always pushing back against emotional unhealth, never cooperating or acquiescing to emotional unhealth. Anything, any thinking, any attitudes, any behaviors that are emotionally unhealthy, you do not act in a way that supports that, that it enables that. Now, here's what's important to remember, that just as calm assertive, now, when we talked about calm assertive and passive aggressive, I had told you that uh, the kryptonite for passive aggressive communication behavior style is calm assertive communication behavior style. It yanks the rug right out from underneath of it. Passive aggressiveness cannot survive in the face of calm assertiveness. Calm assertiveness completely negates everything that passive aggressiveness depends on in order to be able to flourish and exist. So when you realize that you are being that somebody is dealing with you in a passive aggressive way and you come back with calm assertiveness it completely negates it's the kryptonite for passive aggressiveness it, it kills it just as calm assertive is the kryptonite for passive aggressive calm assertive the good one also has a kryptonite do you know what it is it's stress yes the the kryptonite for calm assertive communication behavior which remember is very healthy and powerful and strong calm assertiveness but the kryptonite for calm assertiveness the good the good thing is stress stress can weaken and create a challenge for calm assertive communication behavior how do you counter then the stress well some practical things you can do is remove the source of the stress if that's possible it's not always possible or you can remove yourself from the vicinity of the source or from the influence of the source of stress also going back to pushing back what you want to do in a stressful situation is never let the situation dominate you what you want to do is reestablished because it happens to the best of us listen I've been practicing this for years now and I still find myself in situations where where the situation the stressful situation dominates me so that's a very human thing nobody not healthy people or unhealthy people do well under stress it's just it's part of the human condition and as humans there will always be things that stress us out so you're always going to find yourself in situations where stress, a stressful situation is dominating you. What to do? What to do in that situation? Well, what you want to do is reestablish dominance over the situation. You want to stop, recenter, don't allow the things around you to affect you. Now, let me say this. 
that nothing outside of us can affect us. And no, this is not a Zen mind trick. It's not some crazy Zen quirky way of thinking. It's not just a thought thing. Like, hey, if I think I have a million dollars, I do. It's not that kind of thing. Instead, what I'm describing is the truth. If, if you think about it, you'll realize I'm, t- uh, I'm telling you the truth. Nothing outside of us, in an emotional sense, can affect us. Why is that? Because when it seems like things outside of us are having an effect on us on the inside, what's really happening is that we're taking it, we're internalizing it, and we're using that to affect our own selves, inside of ourselves, in a certain way. That's true about stress. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're walking around thinking that things stress you out. Things, things don't stress you out. You stress you out. And that's really important to, to know that because it makes you powerful over it. You see, when you find yourself in a situation where you think you're feeling like the things outside of you are stressing you out, you can remind yourself in the moment of the true nature of what is occurring. I'll give you a real life example. I got two young dogs here. When it comes time for feeding time, they hop around and, and they create this environment that is just high energy and high stress for me because I'm trying to get the bowls, I'm trying to get everything without dropping anything and, and these sorts of things, trying to get their food ready. And they're putting this pressure on top of me. Well, there you go, see? I'm, I'm speaking about it incorrectly and here we are trying to get the proper idea about what the reality of the thing is. They're not putting stress on me, but they're, they're creating an atmosphere that is very easy for me to take and stress my own self out with. Do you understand that? They want the food right now. They want it right now. They want it right now. They're all excited. They're jumping around. They're barking. They're crazy. And what I'm doing in that environment when I begin to feel stressed out is I'm using it. I'm using the situation. I'm internalizing it. And I'm stressing my own self out with it. When I start to feel that stress building up, that's when I stop. I recenter. And I remind myself that they are not stressing me out. They can't stress me out. It's not just that they're not, they can't. So what does that mean? It means that if I'm feeling stressed out, it's because I'm doing that to myself. How am I doing that to myself? I'm doing it by my thinking. I'm watching them jump around and everything and I'm putting, the, I'm putting a sense of pressure to get their food ready as fast as possible upon myself. They're not doing it to me. I'm doing it to myself. That's worth thinking about a lot such a simple statement that most people would say he's out of his mind he's out of his mind for saying that nothing outside of us can affect us what what does he think he is a jedi but it's true it's not just a a way of thinking it's the truth whenever you're stressed out whenever you're affected inside depressed anything like that it's because you're of what you're doing with it inside of yourself not because it's happening from the outside in it's happening from the inside in. You've taken something, you're playing around with it in your thoughts, and you're stressing yourself out, or you're de- depressing yourself, or you're making yourself happy, or you're making yourself mad. Think about that, nobody else can make you mad. If you're mad, it's because you're taking something and you're using it to make your own self mad. So why are we talking about all this? Because calm assertive is the kryptonite for passive aggressive, 
But stress is the kryptonite for calm assertive. So how can you avoid that kryptonite and maintain calm assertiveness? You can remove sources of stress or you can move yourself from the influence of stress or when you're in a stressful situation that you can't escape or can't you know completely avoid what do you do you reestablish dominance what does reestablish dominance look look like it looks like stopping reminding yourself of who is causing you that stress it's you yourself and then taking responsibility for that and changing your thinking I, what I do is I'll stand there in front of the dog bowls and say, <sighs> I'm in no hurry. I'm in no hurry. And I kind of tune out the barking and all the yapping and the jumping around and everything. And I, and I say, I will do this. I, this is dialogue I have inside my head. I'm not going to do this when they want me to do it. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. And I take my time, even with the yapping and the jumping and everything, the, the stress dissipates. So keep that in mind. That's a good practical example that you can take and you can use in other areas of life, other stressful areas of life. Let me give you another example. Public speaking. When I have to get up in front of a bunch of people and talk in front of a bunch of people and I feel all eyes upon me and the stress begins to rise. And I'm, why is the stress rising and why do I feel helpless there in that situation? Because my, my thinking, my erroneous thinking in the moment is that the situation, the people, they're all causing the stress. How do I regain dominance over that situation? I remind myself of the truth that nobody is causing me anything except for me. It's my own thinking. I'm, I'm taking the situation. I'm using it to stress my own self out. I can control that to a, a, a large degree. I can, I can get the mastery over that if I just stop and recenter. There was a guy. Um, now remember, we're talking about this because we're talking about combating and pushing back against emotional unhealth. Will there be a situation where, that, where, where that's difficult? Uh, for you to be calm, assertive, and to do the right thing and to handle every situation correctly? Yes, it will be because we're not perfect people. Even when you're emotionally healthy and you understand these things very well, new situations might arise that you have to sit and say, oh no, what is the right way to handle this? But there was a guy in the live fundamentals course that I hosted a couple years back. And this feller, who was a very nice guy, wanted me to refer to him as they, them. So he didn't want to be called he or him. He wanted to be he wanted me to refer to him always as they and them. And it put me in a real awkward and difficult situation to be honest with you. You see this person had paid a lot of money to participate in this course that is specifically designed to help him make an effort to identify and correct his fundamentally unhealthy and destructive thinking and attitudes. And yet, he starts the course by trying to establish limits to prevent my ability to help him do exactly that. At the same time, this was a person that I genuinely liked and hoped good things for. I really did. 
As with all people that I have dealings with, I was looking for any way that I could healthily accommodate him. What I decided in that instant is that uh, I absolutely could not refer to him as a they, them. It contradicts everything the last symptom is all about, such as escaping a life where feelings get to determine the things people believe, escaping the denial of realities and instead embracing acceptance of realities. You see, he's not a plural person. He's a single person. The secret to his ultimately being healthy and content depends on him rejecting a life where he lets his feelings come up with explanations for things. Like if I just if I just uh, want a thing to be, then it is. Rejecting that and embracing realities using critical thought and reasoning ability. At the same time, I saw no need to blatantly refer to him as he, quote unquote. If there was no need for me to say he blatantly like that, uh, I wasn't going to do that either. So instead, I simply used his personal name any time that I addressed him or referred to him. You say, well, was this not an example of you acquiescing to the emotional unhealth? No, it wasn't, and I'll tell you why. Remember, this was somewhat of a unique situation. But you have to remember that the entire course that he was enrolled in is specifically designed to identify, challenge, and correct the fundamental erroneous thinking that this whole they-them disorder is built upon. So that unhealth was going to be directly challenged and pushed back against every single day for two solid weeks, for hours every day. Therefore, there was no need for me to unnecessarily pour salt in this person's wounds, which would cause him to shut down, close himself off, and become unreceptive to the information that he was going to be receiving. So I didn't have to say, hey, listen, buddy, I'm not going to do that, and you're crazy for, for wanting me to do that, and you're wrong, and all this stuff. I didn't have to do that, which, you know, it, with that tone, it, it'd be hard to imagine that I wasn't trying to be offensive or trying to uh, intend to offend the person. So you see, I, I didn't have to specifically, when he said, you know, I'd like to be called, referred to as they, them, I didn't have to in that moment um, say, no, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that because, you know, that's unhealthy and you're wrong and all these things. You know, that would have just caused the person to shut down. They, they would have said, well, how intolerant and all these things. Uh, and I didn't even really have to come up with a decision about how to handle that situation right on the spot. Like I didn't have to be some kind of mastermind. Uh, wow, two seconds pass, I've got the answer. No, I just said, I'm going to sit on this for a day. <laughs> We're going to get through this this first day, and I'll think about how to handle this. And then later I realized that I, I will not be cooperating with this. I will be pushing back against this. I will be challenging this every single day for two straight weeks. So it's in my and his best interest if I just don't say anything. Now, when I would refer to him, I just used his name. And that was the way I avoided participating in that while at the same time not shutting him down from being re receptive to information that could potentially change his life for the better. 
Uh, back to this woman I mentioned at the beginning, this mother. My daughter says this, and I don't want to trigger her, she said to me. I had to tell her that trigger is a complete baloney. There's no such thing as triggers. We just got done talking about it. We didn't refer to it as triggers, but we just got done talking about it. Remember, nothing outside of you can affect you. It can not have an effect on you. The only thing that is happening in reality is that you're taking something and you're using it to affect yourself. Therefore, triggers this concept that some outside thing, something outside of you, can control you, control how you feel and those sorts of things, is complete baloney. So I had to explain that. And I told this mother to directly and immediately challenge and push back against every unhealthy attitude and thought of her daughter. And she says, that's not what my therapist told me. That's not what my daughter's therapist told her. Her therapist told me to shield her from any quote-unquote triggering things and to handle her with kids' gloves, you know, like so if she expresses that she uh, is a polar bear, I'm supposed to say, yes, you are, honey, and you're such a wonderful polar bear. What absurdity. What absurdity. Flies in the face of every healthy law and principle that exists. You do not acquiesce to some delusion like that. You push back against it. No, honey, you're not a polar bear. I love you, but you're not a polar bear. You're never going to be a polar bear. That's how you handle that situation. So her therapist is an idiot. Do you see that this acquiescing to emotional unhealth, this caving into it, this playing along with it, is cooperating with it? What does cooperation do? It enables it. It supports it. It makes you a participant in it. It makes you just as unhealthy as the person initiating it. Think of, and this is important, we're closing down now, but this is probably the most important part of the show. Think of emotional unhealth and emotional disorders like an alien invader, like an immaterial cloud, right? It's, it's an alien invader that takes the shape of like a cloud. It's immaterial. It's like a fog that rolls in. A dark, nefarious cloud. This alien invader does not have good intentions. Emotional disorders that we're embodying in this cloud, shape-shifting thing that rolls in like a fog that is an alien invader, it only wants to harm you. It wants to harm the people you love and care about, the people you admire and respect. Like, for example, this person that wanted me to refer to him as they, them. It wants me to cooperate with that because it wants to harm. It's already harming him, that person, and it wants me to participate and cooperate with that. When you push back against this alien, this hostile alien invader that only wants to harm you, when you push back against it firmly, it will flee. It will flee. It cannot stand up to emotional health. So think about it in terms of the light and the dark. The dark is powerful. Emotional disorders would be 
the dark, anything emotionally unhealthy, it's harmful in life. It's not good for you. Uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day. I said, uh, hey, I, I've got this list of positive things about having borderline personality disorder. I said, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? There is nothing good about having borderline personality disorder. It only It's only a poison in life. That's true for all emotional disorders. It's true for anything that's emotionally unhealthy. So you've got the light and you've got the dark. The dark is emotional disorder or emotional unhealth. And the light is obviously good emotional health. Although the dark is very powerful, the light is more powerful still. The light will always win given a chance. Do you know the only time that light cannot win? It's when it's not turned on in the first place. It has to be turned on. Then it can win. But if it's never turned on, well, then the dark just dominates. So remember that, folks. Never cooperate with emotional unhealth. The secret to that is calm, assertive communication behavior style. There are some weaknesses that can uh, undermine calm, assertive. That's stress. We talked about how to combat stress. And uh, we talked about all these things and about how to stay healthy yourself and to only contribute to health in the world. That's, that's the goal of the last symptom is to create an army of people who are only contributing to good emotional health out in the world and never contributing or acquiescing to the dark. And that's the show. Folks, it's nice to be back. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope to see you over on our Locals group. Links in the, the details below. Take care.